Hello, and welcome to PW's FaithCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors who write about inspiration, spirituality, and religion. I'm Emma Kuntz, Religion News Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Kathleen Dowling-Singh, whose book, The Grace in Living, is being published by Wisdom Press, the sponsor of today's FaithCast. Hello, Kathleen. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Great, Emma. Uh, I'm glad to be talking to you today, especially this is the day that uh, the Grace and Living is actually coming out into the world. So it's kind of nice to uh, be speaking about it on its birthday. Perfect. So you are the author of The Grace in Aging and The Grace in Dying. What inspired you now to write The Grace in Living? Well, it was it was a bit of an organic progression because of having written the other two, The Grace and Dying, The Grace and Aging. I speak all over the country and I have met thousands and thousands, literally, of really sincere practitioners. And what I began to discover in a fairly measurable percentage of them was an element of discouragement in in terms of their spiritual practice. And as I began to talk with them more deeply about what was discouraging, it became obvious that there were several beliefs that are common for spiritual practitioners to hold in in their minds. Um, And the beliefs get in the way of, you know, their very intention to engage in spiritual practice. What I've come to see is that for many people, especially long-term practitioners, there are very sensationalized beliefs that people have about what awakening is, as if all of a sudden, you know, our bodies become radiant and and we have halos and, you know, we, we walk through the streets and, and uh, our, our very presence causes stir in the atmosphere. There are just so many people who see awakening as, one, something that's totally out of the ordinary, and two, something that either they're not worthy of or they doubt their capacity to awaken, or they believe that perhaps they're doing something wrong. And it, it struck me that the very beliefs that that we carry into our relationships and into our work life and into our self-concept, those same beliefs obstruct our our awakening and where i've come from i use the word grace a lot you may you may have noticed and i use it to to signify the sacred i mean for some people they would translate the word grace as god or or for people practicing within a buddhist tradition translated as as the dharmakaya but it essentially it means the sacred and i use that word because it speaks to people across traditions and the very beliefs that hamper us in the rest of our lives when we when we carry them into our spiritual practice they're they're among our greatest obstructions for 
example, the the belief that um, awakening is for people who are more spiritually advanced than I am, mm-hmm. or are more worthy than I am, or who've practiced harder, or who've purified more. Mm-hmm. And it's all based on our usually mistaken conceptions about who we are and our mistaken uh, conceptions about awakening, what awakening is. And so I tried to speak to that discouragement and the grace in living and offer a radically new way to look at our lives and to see that um, we've never actually been separate from grace except in the beliefs that uh, we give credence to. Yeah. Well, with so many people having these misconceptions about awakening, thinking that it's either difficult or impossible, who is this book intended for? Who are you trying to reach specifically? Oh, I always write with specific groups of people in my mind. It speaks to people who've had a practice and are discouraged and carry self-doubts and have mistaken ideas about what awakening is. And it's really offering each of them a chance to to look at their lives in a way where they, one, begin to see that they, in fact, have never been separate from grace, except in their own beliefs, and a way to look at their lives so that there's a real heartfelt recognition that simply when we have the desire to awaken, which in my view comes to us from grace from grace arising in us you could you could say from grace calling us back home once we have that desire and it becomes stable and committed in our lives we're already on a trajectory of awakening and so i really want people through following a process of spiritual biography that I talk about a lot in the book, to affirm for themselves that however it is that their life appears to them in this moment, this is how their awakening is. And it does no good to compare ourselves with anyone else's. Each of us, you know, eight plus billion people on earth, there's eight plus billion paths. Yeah, yeah. So you do talk a lot about spiritual biographies. Can you describe what a spiritual biography is and and what they look like? Well, I've laid it out in the book. It's a way of looking at our lives quite different from an ordinary biography with a list of accomplishments and relationships and, um, you know, births and deaths and and moves. It's, It's looking at the whole spectrum of our lives from, you know, our earliest memories all the way through to the present moment. Through a process of of recollection, I offer questions for people's contemplation as as part of the the grace and living. And in the book, I've said there there are three parts to the book. One one kind of sets a context. The second, the middle part of the book, is the stories of 
other practitioners, and including well-respected teachers from a variety of different traditions. But the third part of the book, to me, is the most important and potentially the most impactful part of the book. And that's engaging in the process of doing our own spiritual biography. Uh, Questions are provided, people are invited into a deep contemplation to engage in an act of, of recollecting moments in our lives when we feel the presence of something greater than simply our ego. You know, we felt the presence of grace, which is beyond self. And to track those movements, almost as if you were tracking footprints through life. But it's to get at, I mean this, not conceptually, but to get at a real heartfelt recognition that we've never been separate from grace. Grace is always here. Our attention is not always here. That's a huge uh, recognition for uh, people to come to, an immeasurable gift to to ourselves to, to learn to recognize grace and to learn to trust it to learn to trust that once our intuition is aligned with the longing to merge with grace, we're on a trajectory that uh, we can't fall off of. We're already awakening. And what we're doing is watching it unfold day by day. Perfect. And so you mentioned that you do include teachers and other practitioners who share their experiences But why include other people's stories of awakening when you also mentioned that everyone's path is so different? What is the benefit of hearing other people's spiritual awakening stories? Uh, Partly for inspiration, to just get a sense of everyone's struggles, of everyone's self-doubts, of everyone's, um, you could say, egoic striving to awaken and how it gets in the way for each of us. And part of what I think the um, sharings, there's six people who, you know, very generously offered to share their spiritual biography. Part of it was to see the wide array of paths that people can take all leading to the same experience of having an awakened relationship with life. And in spite of the incredible uniqueness and variety of everyone's different paths, it also reveals that there is a universal progression in our spiritual growth. I I talk about four chapters mm-hmm. in a spiritual path, if you will. And, and the first one is is typically it, it, it occurs earlier in our lives and it um, involves looking at the moments in our life early on usually where we've had tastes of the sacred, where we've had glimpses of grace. And that first chapter you could almost characterize as, as one that goes from these taste to a real hunger, which will lead us into what I call the second chapter of the spiritual journey, which is the beginning of earnest seeking for a path that that resonates with us. And that second chapter, you could say, 
goes from seeking and all of our striving and and the struggle with all of our self-doubts and discouragement. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way through the way I, I describe it. It goes from seeking to the end of seeking. Yeah. Another interesting part of, about your book is before you even reach the seeking part of things, that there's something you call survivor mode. Can you talk a little bit about survivor mode and, and how it limits us? Oh, absolutely, because it certainly does limit us. One of the things that I talk about in The Grace in Living is that as human beings, we come equipped with two operating systems, okay? And and one I just call the survival operating system, and it was designed clearly to ensure the survival of, of this physical organism, and it operates in a very dualistic way. It establishes a sense of self that needs to defend itself against everything else that it um, imputes to be other. And I think that it's a very limited paradigm. It's certainly necessary in that it allows us to to function and to keep our shoelaces tied. But it's such a limited view of who we are. And I I also think that living in the 21st century without woolly mammoths, etc., on the corner of our street, that all of the mechanisms and dynamics of this survival operating system, they have come into service much more of our egos than of simply just the survival of our physical organism. And so it, it is, it's a, it's a small, limited, collapsed experience of the vastness that's that's available to us. The, the second operating system that each of us, each and every one of us comes with is what I call a being operating system with a capital B. And that is vast. It is spacious. It's all of the awareness and the this it's the sacred formless that we have access to when our attention is liberated out out of ego, out of self, out of only survival. Yeah. And then toward the end of the book, you provide several contemplative questions for both reflection and, and to help people create their own spiritual biographies. You recommend that readers spend several sessions on those questions. What other suggestions do you have for readers to get the most out of your book? Well, yes, I definitely recommend that the part three of the book, which is which is creating and kind of graphing our own spiritual biographies, that it be done wholeheartedly and that it be done slowly and conscientiously and deliberately you know holding the intention while we're while we engage in it that we do come to recognize that we've never for a moment been separate from grace and that we can trust it and that we can trust the process of our own absolutely unique unfolding in that third part i suggest that people spend you know, even a couple of weeks uh, looking at each of those uh, 
I described two of the chapters in a, in a spiritual journey, but each of the four chapters, there's questions that are relevant to each of the four uh, chapters that stir up our own recollections. And, you know, deep in our understanding and our realization and our embodiment that we, in fact, do already know grace. That we have, in fact, already been in the presence of the sacred. And as I said, we, the sacred's always present with us. We're just not always present with it. Our beliefs lead us a long way away from grace. Yeah. And there's a quote from the book that has really stuck with me that I'd like you to maybe elaborate on. And it's, may each of us have the grace to die to who we think we are before who we think we are dies. It is a powerful sentence, isn't it? If all that we know of ourselves is ego, and all that we know of the universe is the, the universe as seen through the eyes of, of the survival mode, dying is a terrifying experience. We know nothing else. And I think that that's one of the biggest benefits of being a spiritual practitioner is that we do learn to die daily. There's over and over and over, there's a surrender of the mistaken beliefs to to which we've clung for so much of our lives about who we are and how we exist. And we surrender them. We surrender the sense that we're separate from others, surrender the sense that we're separate from grace, surrender all of these really painful thoughts that we have, most egos, when um, we look inside our egoic minds with the intention um, for real honesty, with the intention to have the courage to see thoroughly, ego comes with the sense of self-doubt. It comes with the sense of uneasiness. It comes with fear. I, I mean, believing ourselves to be separate from everyone and everything else on earth is, is a pretty precarious position. I have, a, I have a friend who describes it as like trying to live your life balancing on a beach ball. Wow. Yeah. So what is the most important thing you want readers to take away from the grace in living? Oh, that there's absolutely nothing (laughs) wrong with anything that you're doing in your spiritual practice, except for every doubting belief that you have about your own worthiness. What I want people to to take away is... a complete recognition of the presence of grace moment by moment, never absent in our lives, to have that recognition, to walk away with the sense that it is utterly unerring and trustworthy, and to simply begin to relax, to take a deep 
sigh of relief that we are already in the process of waking up. To drop any images we have of what waking up looks like, to drop any comparison with what other people's awakening looks like, and to just really get at a heart level that however it is for me, as I take each day in my practice, this is awakening for me. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathleen, and thank you to the audience for listening. Join us for the next FaithCast.